come in God's presence. Amen. We just came here to praise him, and this is a song we haven't done in a while, so uh, y'all sing with us. You'll know it. Maybe you can tap your feet a little bit and get your blood flowing. It's all right to have a good time in church. All right? Amen. Here we go. Turn your ear heaven and hear the noise inside, the sound of the angels all, the sound of the angels song and all this for a we could join and sing, all for Christ the King. song of ours will rise, will rise. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Who is holy? He is holy. Turn your gaze to heaven. How infinite. Oh, how infinite, how sweet. This love is rescuing. Oh, how infinitely sweet. This great love that has redeemed. As one we see. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. 
to go when there's no place to go. We can hold the hand of the Savior and sit in the lap of the Savior and be in His presence.
deep cries out to thee. As deep cries out to thee, we sing. Upon this place. 
This morning, I think Wayne Whittle is going to come and share what God's doing in his life. God's always an active and living presence in Wayne's life, and he's going to share it. Thank you. Well, it was a day like any other day. I'd gotten up and had a good quiet time. The Sunday school lesson was the presence of God. I got finished. I put on my walking shoes, and because I live out in Brookfield next to a paved road, I just walked down the road, turned around and come back, and I got my exercise in. Well, as I as I started out, it was not quite daylight, and I just kind of looked toward the heavens, and I said, Lord, I want to feel your presence today. And I took off. And I'd like to say that I got into deep meditation on the Lord's Word, but I didn't because it was still dark, and I was in the woods, and, and I know we have wild hogs around there. Hogzilla was killed not too far away. I've seen hogs. I've seen coyotes. And ever since that little bear cub was taken out of that tree in front of Cracker Barrel, I'm thinking, well, there's a mama bear and a papa bear somewhere. So I wasn't really thinking other than just looking and paying attention and exercising. So I get down to my turnaround point. By this time, it's getting daylight, and there's not a lot of traffic. And I turn around, and I start back, and, and I walk on the side of the road facing traffic so I don't have to worry about what's coming behind me. And uh, traffic starts to pick up, and 
after a while, I hear this vehicle approaching, and it sounded differently. And as I turned to look, a white Z71 with a black brush guard barely missed me. Now, I'm on the opposite side of the road, so he had drifted all the way over the road, or she. And as I turned, the truck just was right there. And at that point, it slowed down to slow motion. The truck went off the road, and apparently when the tire hit the edge of the road, the driver woke up. But um, went on down in the ditch and, and stayed in the ditch and rode down the ditch until the vehicle got under control and came back on the highway. But all that was happening in slow motion. And as it was happening, the Lord said to me, Wayne, I have you in the palm of my hand. Now, be careful what you pray for. Because remember what I asked when I first started out. Lord, I want to feel your presence. Now, as amazing as that is, equally amazing is how I got to that point in my life. Because you see, I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't in the youth group. I wasn't in the young adult Sunday school. As a matter of fact, if you looked up the word heathen in the dictionary for years, they had my picture next to it. That's just the kind of person I was. But I met a Christian by the name of William Barefield. And William gave me his personal testimony, which was something like this. His mother left when he was about 12. His dad turned to alcohol. And one of his drunken rages, William locked himself in his bedroom, and he just cried out to God, Lord, help me. I need you. And he said that a peace enveloped him that he had never felt before. Of course, it's that peace that's described in the Bible as a peace that surpasses understanding. You can't put it into words. But William's testimony was that. Did you know that you have a testimony? Each one of you have come to a place in your life, or you will, where you have a testimony. Now, we live in a world of assumptions. Every morning we assume that the sun is going to come up. We assume when we flip the switch, electricity is going to turn the light on. We assume when we get in the car, we're going to arrive at the destination. We assume tomorrow is going to come. We assume. William gave me this Bible shortly after that testimony, and, and I began to read it. And it took me all the way down to Romans 10, 9, 10 to receive Christ. And, and when I received Christ, I assumed, because my wife was sitting me in church, that she knew that, that deep secret as well. That was a dangerous assumption because 10 years passed, and a faith team arrived at my house one night, April 17, 2001. My oldest brother, this, well, he was a young pastor then, <laughs> and a school teacher by the name of Carol Topping. Some of you remember Carol, Carol and Dan. We just sat down to supper, and they came thinking they were to see me. I mean, my oldest brother was concerned that I was not going to spend eternity in heaven with him. But my wife prayed to receive Christ that night. You see how dangerous it is to assume you are surrounded by loved ones, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, strangers that are going to spend eternity separated from us 
that's, that's wrong. I said that I, I got saved when I, I read this verse. Romans 10, 9, 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, a few verses down. It's bad when you've got to have glasses. A few verses down is a beautiful verse. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So, the question becomes, who? Who's going to go? Who's going to tell? Who's going to preach? Who's going to have pretty feet? You know, you can tell a lot by the shoes a person wears. But Paul says, you got to go and tell. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. And here's what I really want to talk to you about. This Tuesday... You'll have your choice of choosing in the morning or in the evening to learn how to share your faith. You have a testimony. You can learn how to develop that testimony, your story, which nobody can debate. People can debate the cross, the blood, the baptism, all these theological, doctrinal things. But they cannot debate your story. It's yours. What Jesus did for you. But you can come and over the course of 12 weeks beginning this Tuesday, learn how to develop your story and share your faith you can develop pretty feet let's pray about it father we want to we want to be found faithful of all the ways you could have chosen to save us from ourselves you chose to die for us And of all the ways that you could have chosen to propagate this message of peace, you chose us as a mouthpiece. Lord, we just want to be faithful in delivering that message. I I just pray, Lord, that you would convict those who you desire to convict here today to become a part of your ministry of telling people of how much you love them so much that you died for us. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wayne, when we were in uh, Nicaragua a couple summers ago, they had a, a photograph of about half a dozen pair of tennis shoes. And they were muddy and worn out and wet and, and holes sticking out and everything. And below it had the verse... How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Because we looketh on the outward appearance. God cares about the heart. I've got a few more sermons I want to talk about theology and and an important part of our Christian life that we don't talk much about because it's so personal and so private, and yet it is so important, is the prayer life. Luke 11, 1 through 4 is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And I've chosen this version because really uh, how how Luke introduces it. 
Luke 11, 1 through 4 says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he had ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Of course, it's a much briefer version of the Lord's Prayer than the one found in uh, Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. But here, it's very concise, and I think contains the elements that we need to have in prayer. Let's bow together. Father, will you convict every one of us of the need for prayer? Help us, to, help us to just glimpse a portion of the power that is at our disposal, that you have in the chute, ready to, to open up and pour out. If we'll just cry out to you, spend time with you, and talk to you and listen to you. Father, open our hearts enough to spend some time with you, regardless of how fast the world is passing by. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I realize it's probably a dangerous thing for me to try to stand up and talk to you about prayer. A lot of you have disciplined, mature prayer lives, no doubt. But uh, my guess is that all of us can learn something, can develop and work at our prayer life. And let me tell you, your prayer doesn't just happen by accident. It's something that you have to think about and be intentional about and spend time with and discipline with. A lot of us learn how to pray as children, children's prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. God is great. God is good. And that's good. And I love to hear children pray because they are so honest and they are so trusting and believing in their prayers. But I also think there's a time when we need to grow past how we pray as children. Uh, You know, Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So there comes a time when we put away that childish form of prayer and take on a more mature, disciplined prayer life that that goes along with a mature Christian walk and and a Christian life. And I think Jesus, notice the disciples don't say, teach us how to pray. They just want to learn to pray. They want Jesus to tell them, to pray. Teach us. Lord, help us know the value and the importance of praying. And that's what Jesus does. And there's some things I want to point out, and it's a real brief outline in your worship bulletin. I'm going to elaborate on a little bit. The first thing I want you to see about prayer is that it is a decision. It is a decision that you make to pray. Prayer is not something that just happens by accident. Now, I realize there are those spontaneous prayers like, Lord, help me. Lord, like, like Wayne was sharing, the, the man who gave his testimony went in the closet. Lord, be merciful, help me, and, and, and be with me, and guide me. And, and there are prayers like that that just come on the spur of the moment, and you don't know what else to do besides just cry out to God. Jesus did that. God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just spontaneous prayers that came from the heart and the lips of our master. 
But there was also times, there were also times that Jesus spent lengthy periods of prayer with God. It says in verse 1, he was praying in a certain place. So it was Jesus' routine to go to a certain place at a certain time and pray. And that's what he did. He didn't suddenly feel the urge to prayer. I think a lot of our problem with our, our spiritual lives is that we base a lot of it on feeling. We feel like doing something. We don't feel like we're close to God. We, we feel like we have this need. Let me tell you, a mature Christian life isn't based on emotion or feeling, even though that's important. As a Christian grows, your, your life with God is based on facts of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's based on faith in those facts. And regardless of how you feel, whether you feel close to God one day or not, whether you feel like you should pray one day or not, whatever, there are certain disciplines that you go through in your Christian life, whether you feel like it or not. Jesus didn't suddenly feel the urge to pray. He, he prayed, he spent time with God at an appointed hour and an appointed place. And, you know, I just got to think, if Jesus and the Father are one and he, he felt the need to spend that much time with God, how much more so do we? Prayer didn't just happen with Jesus. It was something he gave time and energy to. It's kind of like that with us. How much have you ever accomplished in your life that was not the result of a definite, purposeful decision? The same is true in our spiritual lives. Believe it or not, there was an article in Reader's Digest years ago about a woman who felt all of her time in her day had been claimed and she wanted to spend some time with God. So she started getting up about 30 minutes earlier every morning and just reading the Bible and sitting in a chair in the quiet of the right before dawn. And nothing happened. And then she didn't give up because she had committed herself to a certain time period to do this. And over time, something began to happen. Not by accident. But as she spent time every morning, just that 30-minute time slot waiting on God, she began to feel his presence and his peace and the power of prayer that became such an integral part of her daily life. She learned the importance of that, of that commandment to wait on the Lord. We are so impatient. You know, I close my eyes, I kneel, bam, I want it to happen right then and there. But God doesn't operate on our timetable. It takes a while to get into his presence, to calm ourselves, to remove distractions, the worries, the, the list of things to do, the, the, the worries that we have that have been undone, haven't been fixed. And uh, before I go any further, let me clear up one other thing here. A lot, of, a lot of folks pray early in the morning. This woman in this Reader's Digest article prayed early in the morning. Wayne was up early praying in the morning. You don't... There's no perfect time to pray. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are evening people. The time of day doesn't matter. I remember a story about Martin Luther. One time he said, I have so much to do today that I shall have to spend an extra hour in prayer. And he already spent two hours. So he went from two to three in order to accomplish everything he had to do that day. You don't have to do it in the morning. 
You don't have to do it in the evening. There just has to be a certain time and a certain place. That's part, an important part of your day that you spend with God. And it doesn't have to be two or three hours, but it can't be two or three minutes. There has to be something in between there. What have you ever achieved that's worthwhile in life that did not require some investment of time and energy and resources? I can't think of anything more significant than a, a prayer life that's worthy of your investment of time. So it's a decision. It's a certain time. It's a certain place. And notice it says in verse 1 that the disciples waited when he ceased, one of his disciples said. So they waited on the Lord to finish praying. They didn't interrupt him in the middle of prayers. And, and the same thing will be true with you. The, the world will wait. You know, you aren't the most important person in the world. The world will keep on spending a few more minutes without you if you're spending time with God in prayer. Get up a little bit earlier. Go to bed a little bit earlier. Whatever you have to do to do that. To pray. So, first of all, it's a decision. Secondly, I want you to notice one mistake a lot of us make. This prayer begins with God, the first third of the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus goes on in prayer, but the first third of the Lord's Prayer clearly is directed toward God, is focused on God. The next time you pray, See how long you can go without working in I, me, or my into your prayer. See how long you can stay focused on God, you, yours, all about God. Because when we begin praying, I'll tell you what happens, why that's important. When we begin praying and focusing on God, we, we know, we remember exactly it is with whom we're meeting. And that's good because, first of all, it brings us comfort when we reflect on the goodness and greatness and majesty and power of God, starting with prayer. And the second thing that happens is that when we look, when we look to God, all of our problems are seen in their true perspective. So when you start off on God, you remember how great he is. And then you see your life and your issues and your challenges in their true perspective. A lot of y'all are familiar with stories about Teddy Roosevelt became president, you know, the Rough Rider, um, San Juan Hill, president of the United States in the early 20th century. He, incidentally, I was walking down a street in Manhattan one day and it had a little sign that said, this is the house where Teddy Roosevelt was born, right in the middle of New York City. Uh, but he loved to camp. You know, he was an outdoorsman. If you're born in downtown New York City, no wonder you want to get out and camp some. But he camped a lot, and it's, it's said of him that every night before he went to sleep, he came outside of his tent and looked up into the heavens, the greatness and the majesty of God's creation, the stars that were sparkling, the moon that was glimmering. And when he looked up at the vast expanse of the sky, it was his custom to say, now I can rest. I've been reminded of how big God is. And he went inside his tent and went to sleep. You see, our problem is that we forget how big God is and we make God too little. 
But all you have to do is, is start with God and worship Him and spend time meditating on His greatness and His majesty and His power and His creative ability and, and everything that He has placed here and everything that He has given you and spend time focusing on God and, and receive the encouragement that you realize how, how powerful He is and how small your issues are in comparison and everything else will fall into place. Everything else will seem in its proper perspective when you remember exactly who it is that you're talking to. So first of all, prayer is a decision. Then secondly, when you get down to the mechanics of praying, start out thinking about God because that's what Jesus did in his model. The the second thing Jesus did in his model, and the third point I want to make today is that Jesus, once he focused on God, then he talked about the needs of the world. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Very simple, everyday challenges that they faced in Jesus' day. Food, clothing, shelter. Forgiveness, protection from the evil one. All those are very practical issues that Jesus presented to God and gave us a model to do the same. And and that's what I want you to know here. There is nothing so unimportant, so minute that it is not, that it is of no interest to God. If it is a concern of yours, then it's a concern of God, and you can be honest with God, and you can pour out your heart to God, and there's nothing so small that God doesn't love you and care about you and want to help you to bear. You know that hymn, Take It to the Lord in Prayer, is true. You can do it. Whatever issue is troubling you, you can take it to the Lord in prayer. If you want to model on how to do that, I would suggest you... I love listening to children pray. I love watching children in church, because like I said, they are so innocent and so trusting and so honest. And uh, I just love to hear children pray. Here's a list of some children's prayers you've probably seen. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. Amanda. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. I never asked for anything else. You can look it up. Joyce. Dear God, I bet it's hard for you to love all the people in the world. There are only four in my family, and I cannot do it. Nancy. Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that, or was it an accident? Norma. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different summer camp this year. Dear God. 